Hey everyone, I'm Britt and welcome to Educate Me, a podcast all about surviving and thriving in graduate school. This week, I'm talking with Katie Seveny, a PhD candidate in tumor biology at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. We talk about navigating the application process, working from home, and getting past getting scooped. Hi, welcome. Thanks so much for joining my podcast. Uh, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I'm Catherine Seveny, but everybody calls me Katie. I am a fifth-year PhD candidate in the tumor biology program at Georgetown University. Awesome. And so tell me more about your research program. Like, what are you researching in particular? Uh, and where do you hope to go after you finish your PhD? Yeah, so um, the tumor biology program at Georgetown's uh, on the smaller side. It's pretty focused. We have a T32 training grant, so I've primarily been focused on research. Georgetown's got the Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center, which is a big breast cancer institute. So right. um, my research in particular is breast cancer, but more specifically looking at the endocrine therapy resistance phenotype that we see later on. And so breast cancer patient um, has their breast cancer subtypes to see what treatments would be best for them. And then we go and find out which kind of therapies work. A lot of those therapies work really well for a long time, but then they fail. So my thesis in particular has been looking at when our common estrogen-targeted therapies fail, what can we do next? How are those resistant cancers different from sensitive cancers? And what can we do about that? So my area of research has really kind of been varied. I've worked on a bunch of different projects throughout my PhD, but the main one that I'm trying to publish is about solute carriers, which are part of your cell's metabolism, how the cell gets nutrients in and out. Oh, fascinating. What do you find uh, the most exciting about your research? Most exciting. So I think with breast cancer, everyone knows someone who's been affected by breast cancer in particular. So it's exciting to kind of think of the puzzle in terms of Um, how can you take whatever you're researching and no matter what it is or what level you're doing it at, you know, connecting it back to the patients and how is this going to, in the long term, affect our standard of care and make life better for the people that are going through the disease. So I think that's kind of the main thing that you always have in the back of your mind to like when you're in my field is, okay, like my very specific subset is interesting and this puzzle is interesting, but how is this ultimately going to affect the patients? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so impactful. Wow. Uh, so I guess, um, let me back up a little bit. What uh, made you want to start a PhD program? So I I don't know if this is a traditional or non-traditional route anymore because of the amount of people that have done different programs, but I went straight from a bachelor's of science in biochemistry at Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Worcester, Mass, and moved straight down to Washington, D.C. and started my PhD at Georgetown. So Um, When I was at WPI, we were really lucky in that we have a partnership with the University of Massachusetts Medical Center, and so I was able to get a lot of lab experience hands-on really early and started in my sophomore year, and then my senior year, I did a big project. Um, But getting all that lab experience early on, working with PhD students early on was really helpful, and I always knew I wanted to do cancer research. I've wanted to do cancer research forever. So when thinking about how best to do what I wanted to do, a PhD seemed like the right route. I had a really great mentorship early on who encouraged me to dream big and shoot for some big name schools. And Georgetown was my top choice and I got in. It was awesome. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, That's a big difference between uh, here in Canada and in the U.S., where here in Canada, you often 
uh, go for bachelor's and you have to do a master's first. And some programs allow you to transfer from master's to PhD. Um, but you kind of get that, you get to test out grad school in a way, like you commit to a two or three year master's, sometimes a one year master's even, and you get to kind of test the waters. So what is that like in terms of knowing that you're going into this four or five or six year program even, uh, and you're just kind of making that commitment out of the gate? Yeah, it's definitely different. So, I mean, I was a typical student through my undergraduate degree. So I graduated at 22. So I've spent my entire 20s in graduate school, which is definitely different. Um, it's a choice that you kind of have to make where you know that you are signing up for a long, it's a big commitment. A PhD is a long time. It's a lot of work, as yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, but to make that commitment and have it be worth it, I think that um, if I could give myself advice now, I don't know if I would have necessarily done it differently because I came into my PhD with really good study habits. So the first and second year of taking classes is how Georgetown does it. Your first and second year, you do classes. Um, your first year, you do three rotations. Um, and then you go into thesis research. Right. But I think that having that immediate no gap for me personally worked really well because I had good study habits. I was organized um, and it helped. I think that if I had waited, um, either done a master's or done industry experience first, which many people do in the U.S., um, I don't know how that would have played out differently, but I definitely don't regret making the jump immediately. Um, it's kind of cool that I'll have my PhD finished and I'm going to be in my like late 20s. So I still have lots of time to figure out what else I want to do with my career. I know you'd kind of alluded to that question earlier. Yeah. Um, I don't, I wanted to initially check out academia, but the more I've thought about it and the more I progressed through different things, I really enjoyed working with people um, more than the wet lab science. So I think I'd love to go into science communication and kind of that education outreach piece of academia that uh, isn't necessarily as advertised. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. And you bring up so many good points too. And I think, I mean, obviously there's no one size fits all in terms of uh, career trajectory. Like I took a few years off after my bachelor's didn't really think I would go to grad school, but it was kind of in the back of my mind uh, and uh, taught for a couple of years and then came back to do my master's and went straight through to the PhD. So, um, and what I've appreciated about having a bit of that work experience is in a discipline that's really reflective um, practice based. So in a lot of our courses, we're talking about reflection on practice and reflection on our teaching experiences. So I actually had some of that Whereas you could tell those who don't have that, it's, they, they struggle a little bit. Um, and I mean, of course, there are things I struggle with too, but at least that wasn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, something I had to learn on the fly. So like um, yeah. Georgetown being a T32 training program for the tumor biology department, I don't have clear teaching assistant opportunities. Um, so I've never been a TA. But in the lab, it's a little different because then you get master's students doing their thesis projects, undergraduates coming in for research, which I was on the other side of that. And that's how I've been able to give my like mentorship. So I've mentored master's students and undergrads in the lab that way, which it's a different type of teaching. It's a kind of a Absolutely. learn as you go thing. So like if I had taken a break, I definitely a thousand percent would have loved having more experience and how to make that structure. Um, but again, yeah, everyone gets different experiences depending on where they've gone and done things. That's kind of the beauty of PhD programs too, because you've got this eclectic group of people that have had different 
past experiences. Either they've gone straight through like I have or they've done teaching or a master's or something else. Um, so it's kind of nice to be able to rely on that other expertise as well when you're trying to figure out how to mentor your own student. That's so true. Um, and then for those of us outside of the States, uh, what's a T32 training program? Say it one more time. You mentioned that uh, Georgetown is a T32 training program. Oh, sorry. Is that what you said? Yes. So what is um, that? Describe that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the NIH, National Institute of Health for the United States, has several grants that people apply for um, all over. And there is a series of grants that are meant to be training grants. So they are designed to allow your students to spend less time teaching and more time being taught. Um, in how the T32 really works, it basically allows um, students in their first and second year to be kind of sponsored by the grant. Um, they don't have to be a teaching assistant. And so you're able to then go through the first two years of your program and just focus on your classwork, focus on your rotations, um, and really figure out what you want to do. It kind of gives you that jump start before then in your third year, you either have applied for your own grant, which is required in my program. So many of us apply for the PhD student grant, which is the um, either the F31 or the F30, depending on if you're an MD PhD or a regular track PhD. Okay. Um, or there's a bunch of other different grants that people can apply for as well. But the T32 kind of allows you to get that early training and early stuff started. Um, and allows the program to take on more students. And it gives them funding, too, to be able to go to a conference, present a poster, which is a great experience, um, and kind of just provides opportunities for the student to get kind of get their PhD off on the right foot, which is awesome. Um, I was not one of the recipients at Georgetown for the T32, but because of the T32 being at Georgetown, um, it kind of helped provide me with other opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to being at like research intensive institutions is what we call them here in Canada. Yeah. Uh, versus some that are more focused on on teaching or don't have the same um, like intensive research programs or uh, intensive training programs. Awesome. It definitely helps with, like time to PhD too. Um, like the average time for degree completion for Georgetown for the tumor biology department is a little over five years, I think. It's like five and change. Um, okay, yeah. And so I should be finishing my degree up in that, about that timeline, five years. Yeah. Um, so that definitely helps too, um, being able to kind of complete your degree a little bit faster. I know in other institutions, um, or even at our institution, other programs that are not science-based, for example, a PhD in history, um, they have years with ATA and that slows their progression. So they, they get their PhD in maybe like six or seven years versus the sci some of the sciences that have that more research training opportunity due to the grants that the university has um, to be able to finish faster. Absolutely. And that's uh, a good argument. And we keep making that argument at our institution as well as like, okay, you're concerned about time to completion. Well, then fully fund students because funded students can then dedicate their time to actually completing their program. But if you say, oh, we need to push time to completion, and then students are having to work part time, even outside of the university, uh, particularly international students who face higher fees. Uh, they're having to wear all these part-time jobs and cobble together uh, things in order to survive that they, it takes away the time that they can focus on their studies. Yeah, exactly. And like having, being fully funded at Georgetown was one of the reasons that I, Georgetown was pretty high up on my list of places I wanted to go, um, let alone the people that I got to work with have been amazing. But the way the program was structured in terms of funding, having the guaranteed funding is amazing. It really helps. Yeah, absolutely. I, what, 
advice would you give then to students who are looking for a fully funded program? Like, how did you find it? How did you determine what the funding level was? Um, those sorts of things. So you really have to do your homework. Um, in addition to, I know, people being busy with either finishing up their senior year, which is what I was doing at the time, um, I sort of dedicated time to just Googling at first, you know, okay, like, what are the top cancer PhD <laughs> programs? And like, how do, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, so I ended up making an Excel sheet where I had like all the programs that I was potentially looking at. Um, I know like cost is always a thing too when you're looking at PhD programs. Applying is expensive. The GRE for the United States folks is expensive. Yeah. Getting the book, taking the test. Yeah. Um, so being able to really figure out okay, where are these institutions in the U.S.? I, like, narrowed down where I was applying just to the East Coast. Um, that was a personal choice for on my part. Um, I'm from New England, so I wanted to be a quick plane ride from home. Um, but definitely the Excel sheet of all the different schools, just to keep yourself organized. I mean, what's the institution? Is it an umbrella PhD program or a specific PhD program? So by that, I mean... Um, I had done research at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. They have an umbrella biomedical sciences program. So I could have done virology. I could have done cancer biology. I could have done immunology, all sorts of things. Um, Georgetown, the program that I'm in, is tumor biology specific. So all the labs that I wrote, wrote, did rotate in were cancer specific. So um, figuring out if you really want to narrow in on one particular type of Program is definitely good. I applied to some of both. Um, I applied to programs that were cancer specific and I applied to programs that were the umbrella programs. Um, in hindsight, I think that the focused program worked better for me. Um, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that um, I wanted to be somewhere that was a bit of a smaller program. There's only four of us in my PhD, in my like intro class. Um, and there's only about, I think, 40 maybe students in the Georgetown's total T-Bio program. So that definitely helped. Um, so figuring that out as well is definitely something you want to do. Do you learn better in like a smaller environment or in a larger environment? Um, it's definitely things to think about. So I had an Excel sheet that had all of that info on there and like what the funding programs were, um, if they had T32 training grants or not in the U.S., if they were, um, if like some of the labs that I was interested in, um, if that lab had funding or not, because if you're really interested in one person at a university that's doing research, but that person doesn't have necessarily a lot of funding, they may not be able to take you as a student. So funding changes all the time, but those are all things that you should definitely consider. Awesome. So really a scientific method applied to the application process. I love that. Oh yeah. I overanalyzed it. <laughs> It sounds like me when I'm like apartment hunting and I basically have that as well for comparing all the features of apartments. Um, yeah. And how much did the supervisor or advisor uh, potential play into your decision? So when I interviewed at places, I then kind of deep dove more into the individuals. Um, I'm in Dr. Robert Clark's lab at Georgetown University. He studies and has studied endocrine therapy resistance and breast cancer for a long time. Um, I knew that I wanted to work with him when I started looking at places to rotate after um, I went in for the interview process. 
and I had interviewed with a couple people that I knew I potentially wanted to rotate with. So when you apply to a PhD program, a lot of times in your application, there's a spot where you can put who you're interested in talking to in a lab that you might be interested in working in, um, at least for the sciences. Right. I don't know about other programs, but um, yeah, I I don't know. It didn't necessarily play in as much as I wanted to make sure that whoever I worked with, the lab setting was good, but I wouldn't know that necessarily until I had a chance to talk to people. So like when I was actually interviewing was a good time to talk to um, a PhD student in the adjacent lab. Um, there wasn't a PhD student in that lab at the time that I interviewed, but um Dr. Clark's wife, Dr. Hillegivi Clark, is also at Georgetown, so her PhD students were awesome and were able to talk to me about what the lab environment was like, which is important when you're picking a lab. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it strikes me how different, and this is what I'm loving about getting to chat with people from different locations, is because the way like application program processes are so different. Um, and I mean, even at my own institution, from one program to another. So for us, we just apply into a, a, the program. And then you get matched to a supervisor based on your interests. Uh, and then it's also quite, like, not easy, but it's, it's quite a, a smooth process if you do want to then change supervisors because they know, well, we just matched you. Uh, and then in other programs, um, like, interviews for PhD programs in Canada are pretty rare. Like, typically, you don't go interview. Um, but you'll often have to get the supervisor to accept you into their lab first. And then the program will accept you hmm. contingent on, um, yes, you meet all these other criteria, but also the supervisor has um, has accepted you. And so the way that works often is the supervisor will run kind of their own interview process, whether that's phone calls or just by emails or a video conferencing. Uh, they kind of get to run that however they want to. So that's yeah, really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. I, with the U.S. process, I know everyone interviews. Um, I know interviewing might look a little different right now with COVID-19. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I know we definitely were interviewed first. So you made it to kind of the next, you, apl you apply, there's an interview process, um, and then you were told. Um, so it wasn't so much me picking my advisor and really wanting to work with him when I did get in. I wanted to work with him. So yeah, I put yeah. him on my list of people to rotate with because we do three rotations. So that's also where it gets a little tricky because I don't have a master's. So I had to do three rotations. So it's like a right. summer, fall, spring, and the following summer you pick your lab. Um, and they have to like pick you back. It's, you yeah. know, if they don't have funding, they can't take you. Right. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where it's helpful to kind of see who's at the program that you want to apply for just to get a general sense of who has the money and who you could work with and, you know, Google the PI of the lab, see what they published recently. All of that's definitely helpful. But in the interview process, I mean, you still have a whole other like level of selection. So once you know you're in institutions and you've been accepted, it's a little bit easier then to go and really deep dive as to who you potentially would want to work with. If you have a master's, especially um, Georgetown has a master's uh, in tumor biology program. Um, if you've completed that program and then you apply for their PhD and you get in, you don't have to do another rotation because essentially as a master's student, you did a rotation in one lab already. Um, right. So you rotate in two other labs and then decide between those three, um, which definitely helps. Although, I mean, if you don't find your lab right away, it's not a big deal. I have friends in my program that have done an extra rotation the following summer and then stayed in that lab. 
I've had friends that have switched labs because they joined a lab initially and then things didn't work out or interests changed and they wanted to switch labs. All that's fine. It's fluid. It happens. Um, I've had a friend who his PI moved institutions and so he moved with him and had to go and is now at Georgetown working with us. Um, It happens and it's not the end of the world as much as it might seem like it sometimes, but being able to kind of get a sense of what your PI has researched, what the funding is like and what the lab is like are really important when you're like, okay, yes, I'm going to spend five years, six, seven years of my life working with these people. I can do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sounds like a really good model to do it with the lab rotations because I think sometimes particularly students when they've applied to that specific supervisor and that supervisor's accepted them, they feel like they're just tied to that supervisor. And sometimes they're the only ones doing exactly what you want to do. So it is trickier to move. But in most cases, as you said, like you can move around and, it, and it's, uh, I mean, you don't want to move too many times, uh, but. Uh, no, you definitely have is, to pick one and stay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, when things don't work out or your interests change, like it is possible to change. Um, and students shouldn't be so afraid to do that and not just feel stuck and then be miserable for five or six or seven years. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And it's like kind of, it's important to like really think these things through. I think that, you know, getting a PhD is not like, oh, I'll just go get a PhD, like a trivial (laughs) decision. It's a big one. So when you're trying to figure out where you're going to spend a significant, you know, chunk of your life, it's longer than a bachelor's program. It's longer than a master's program. Um, and PhDs are hard. So you want to make sure that this is like, you know, you're in the right environment to make sure that you're successful. Whether that means that you, you know, pick a mentor that's really hands-on, pick a mentor that's more hands-off, pick a lab that's really focused, or pick a lab that has more shenanigans. I know for me personally, our lab, when I joined, was really big. It's been shrinking a little bit as people matriculate, but, you know, being able to kind of laugh in the workplace is something that was important to me, and I have a really good time hanging out with my lab mates. Um, It's definitely been different being long distance with COVID-19 versus being in the lab like we usually are, but, like, making those, like, person decisions, like, can you function here for five years is important, and so being able to get the rotations in to kind of see what the lab is like for, you know, not a week, but weeks, months at a time is good. Um, I really like that that's the format that I went through. That's awesome. So, so far in your program, what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges that you've had to face? So we got scooped. So in layman's terms, (laughs) that means that the project I started, another group was working on something similar and they published before me. So I had to take my project and spin it a little bit differently. Um, Our lab has been publishing with a whole bunch of different topics over the years, so it wasn't too hard to pivot. Um, And I have been working on a sidebar project, which the sidebar project ended up not panning out the way that I wanted it to. Um, It's going to be a nice short chapter of my thesis, but it's not something that I can put in an actual publication. So that was tricky. Um, When that happens, you definitely have your pity party. Take like, you know, a day or at max a week to just, I was really upset about it. It's like, you know, you work on your PhD project for a little bit. It's like your baby. Um, Oh, yeah. But you you have to adapt and you have to be flexible. Um, I think that's something that being in a PhD program has helped me be better at on the whole um, is that things happen and you have to figure out, okay, well, 
this is still most of my data. So how do I add things, change things, rewrite the story so that it's still publishable? And we're working on it. I'm, it's going to get published. I'm going to graduate. It's not like <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the world, although it definitely felt like it that first day. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's it was tricky. It was really tricky. I'm um, really, I guess, lucky and grateful that I had a really good support system. Um, one of the other things that I really liked about Georgetown in particular is that it was a smaller program. So the students are all friends that hang out outside of school, um, which is awesome because then you have people that, you know, when that kind of stuff does happen, you have people to lean on. You're not, you know, an island by yourself. Yeah, so, absolutely. Because when I did my PhD program, I moved away from my family I was pretty far from, my boyfriend was pretty far from. So having friends there that were able to kind of help with the process and understood how to, you know, maybe sit down with me and look through the data and figure out how we rewrote it um, was awesome. And having a mentor who was able to kind of share in the pity party and then, okay, let's move on and like, let's get this done the right way yeah. uh, was definitely helpful as well. So it happens, but you're still, you're going to be fine. and. It's an experience, not a good one, but an experience that I've had and now I know how to adapt from. So it it happened. <laughs> yeah. But now you've had that learning experience now because, I mean, probably not the first time you're going to get scooped. Um, I mean, there's lots of people working on, on these things and cancer research is a really heavily funded area. So... Yeah, um, breast cancer. That experience early. <laughs> breast cancer is definitely a very heavily funded area, and you got to think about it as too. You know, yes, I got scooped, but this knowledge is now still out there. So at some level, this is still going to help people. So you can't be too upset. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Um, so how are you coping in terms of working at a distance or working from home, and and how much are you able to work, and kind of all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's been. Like I just had an experience. Um, it's been okay. I am lucky that I'm kind of finishing up and that for me, a lot of the writing that I have to do can be done from home. Um, I was working on one more big experiment where I was growing these special immortalized cell lines that required me to pay attention to them for a while so that I could then um, freeze them down until they were grown enough that I could freeze them down. But I'm lucky that that was the part of the project that you know I could... I can do that. I can freeze my cells and get back to them later. Okay. Um, so that was hard. I was in maybe like for like an hour every other day. But the way that Georgetown shut down, we were on spring break and then we kind of just didn't come back. So oh, okay. we had a couple days notice to lock things up and make sure that, you know, essential, uh, essential people were approved. I was one of the essential people for a while. But with the lab closed down, I mean, you just have to alter your thinking. It's like I'm writing my paper, I'm writing my thesis, I'm working on a review. So all the writing can get done from home. But then when you're home, you're not always really focused. So um, I think my saving grace has honestly been grad write slack. So having grad write slack, finding that earlier on was awesome. And being able to participate in the writing blocks and kind of when you're writing by yourself or you're, you know, home with your significant other, it's like, they don't, know what you're doing necessarily what you're working on so having people that are still in the same mindset like you were at school you know you still have someone to sit across the table virtual table from you at a coffee shop and like set aside okay we're we're writing for these two hours um that's been the best part of quarantine I guess is 
being able to utilize that more and make some progress that way. I don't know necessarily, I don't really do well sitting at one place for very long. So been moving around the house, but progress is progress. So we always say on grad rights, like any progress, yeah. good progress, a good dissertation is a done dissertation. 100%, so yeah. And you raise a good point as well about now our work is almost, it, it's more visible in a way to our partners and our roommates and things like that. Um, but it reminded me of a funny situation where my husband wanted to do something in the morning and I was like, yeah, I like, I don't have anything. Um, so we can go like when you're ready. And then I'm, I'm up in, in the office uh, working because uh, being in his social sciences, I do a lot of work from home anyway. Like um, often I didn't even have a, a desk on campus. So made sure I set up an office space pretty early on in my program. And then he comes upstairs and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm working. And he said, you just said you didn't have anything. And I said, well, by that, I mean, I didn't have any meetings. <laughs> I always have something. Like I'm always having to work on something uh, so that... It was, it was funny to me because I realized that, uh, yeah, what are you doing? Like, you're just sitting staring at a computer. That doesn't really mean anything, so. And it's so flexible, right? I mean, I laugh because I think grad students, especially, like, now that we, you know, you can't be in archives, you can't be in the lab, you can't be working with patients or anything like that. We're all kind of in this new virtual, okay, well, it's just you and your laptop. Like, what are you going to work on today? Are you going to do data analysis? Are you going to do actual writing? Are you going to do reading? Like, what kind of facet of work are you trying to do? And it's not something that, you know, oh, I have to work from X time to Y time. You're flexible, which, yeah, it's like kind of funny. My significant others on meetings, which when we're both on meetings is a little interesting because our desks are right next to each other. But (laughs) (laughs) it's been funny trying to figure out, okay, well, now that we're, you know, in this work from home setting, it's like everyone's got to figure out your new routine, your new schedule. It's like with the PhD program, that's like one of the other funny things. It's like, there's always something I should be doing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. There's always some data that should be analyzed. There's always something I should be writing. Almost always. And so how do you make those decisions? I mean, because we have to make those decisions anyway, even when we're not working from home of what am I working on today or what am I doing right now? And so we know we have to make those decisions, but how do you, how do you do that? It's like a prioritizing thing, I guess. I mean, I know that like my paper should have been published a year ago, so I'm still working on that. Um, So that, you know, when I'm like really motivated and really focused, I work on that more. If I'm a little more scattered and I'm not feeling like really focused work, you know, I'll read a couple more papers for the review and like take notes on that. Um, I think it depends on what mindset you're in. Obviously, there's deadlines still. Those still exist. We're still writing grants. We're still putting papers in. Um, So that all still comes into play. But I think it's, you know, how you're feeling that day. Taking it day by day is important. Pandemic is scary and everyone's freaking out at different levels. So high productivity is going to look different in this setting, I think, than it is normally. Um, so just kind of making a list. I love lists. This one's not an Excel sheet. This one's on like a little sticky note on my desk, but it's like, okay, work. These are the sections left that I have to work on in this project. This is what I have left to do in this project. How long is it maybe going to take me? Maybe I only feel like being productive for an hour or two hours before it's like a lunch break or something. Yeah. Okay, well then I'll work on this project instead because I know it's easy to pick up and put down. Yeah. Versus other things where you know you've got to lock yourself in for a couple hour stretch. Yeah. I was going to ask as well. So you mentioned our grad right Slack on Slack. 
um, and your sticky note to-do list. Uh, but do you have any other favorite productivity apps or tricks or tips that you're using right now? Graduate Slack is how I found out about Pomodoros. So the Pomodoro oh, technique yeah. is, you know, working for a certain set of time. Um, my favorite is 25 minutes because anyone can sit down and focus for 25 minutes. Uh, take a five-minute break and then do it all over again. Once you've done four of them, take a bit of a longer break. Um, time management, stuff like that has been helpful. Uh, I like my little sticky note method, although it's not maybe the most organized at the moment. I don't have my lab notebook at home, so my lab notebook is usually where I keep most of those notes and structure. But I have a actual plan book that I have yeah. been like the plan book kid for forever, probably since grade school. Yeah, but me too. <laughs> I like kind of like looking at the week on Monday morning and my lab meetings are Mondays. So, you know, okay, well, what do I need to get done this week? What's high priority? What's low priority? And okay, if I only did like bare minimum one major thing this week, what does it need to be? And like trying to plan it out that way. That also kind of helps too with like Zoom meetings, making sure that like I don't miss anything. I have a Google calendar on my attached to my Georgetown email. Although with the Zoom meetings and links being through there, it's a little bit easier to keep the virtual meetings organized on Gmail and then the to-do list that I have to do for the day on my like handwriting out notebook. That's like my favorite thing to do. Everything is so virtual now that if I get stuck on something, I have to handwrite it out. Um, yeah. That's really helpful for figuring out if you know that there's like, I don't know, for example, I'm like very much procrastinating this last little bit of my discussion that I need to finish up. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something that's necessarily hard to do, but looking at a computer screen again and staring at the same thing that you've been writing for a while can get a little tedious. So I like taking my like sticky notes and like, okay, well, this is one thought that I have. This is another thought that I have. This is that reference that refers back to those other things. And kind of just like getting away from the computer for a little bit definitely helps too. Yeah, absolutely. And I find myself, now that I don't have to get up and walk across campus to get from one meeting to the next, I find I very much just sit at the computer for hours at a time. And that's such a great idea for getting away from the computer for a bit. Um, and sometimes I forget, like I've got my laptop kind of set up like a desktop right now and I've got an external monitor next to it and a keyboard. Oh yeah, and me too. <laughs> and yeah, and then so sometimes I forget I have a laptop. Uh, that I could actually unplug and go elsewhere. And uh, I had a, an online meeting the other day and someone commented, they're like, oh, you're not in your office. I'm like, no, I, I actually remembered I can move around the house and I, I don't have to just sit in one spot for eight or nine hours a day. Uh, oh I yeah, I've been like, too. I've been doing the same, all the same. I was like, oh my God, wait, laptop, this can be on my lap. Okay. So like, <laughs> I'm at my desk right now, but like I can work at like the kitchen counter or like on the couch or like when my significant other and I both had a bunch of meetings, I just brought my laptop in bed and I wrote from bed for a couple hours. <laughs> I mean, you kind of go back and forth about like what works for you, but you definitely have to get up and move around sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think to keep in mind that just because something worked yesterday doesn't mean it's going to work today. And constantly finding finding a different thing that's going to work and I'm notorious for constantly finding different organizational methods uh I'm very much a planner person as well but I flip between I don't know probably a different planner every six months it's uh it's kind of sad but uh keeping on top of like okay well what's keeping me productive now rather than thinking oh I'm so inconsistent with this but actually no this is the tool I need now whereas I might need a different tool 
Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, you know, there's you've got to be flexible. It's like these are weird times. So like whatever is currently working for you, roll with it. If it changes in a couple of weeks, roll with that. So long as at the end of the day you can like compile all of your notes and you can make one thesis, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, and that's all we need to do in the end, right? It's just the one thesis. Uh, my master supervisor all the time would say, when I had these big grandiose ideas, she'd say, it's just a master's thesis, Brett. It's okay. You can save that for other things. And so I am keeping a list of things to save for my research, my future research plan uh, when they come up, uh, rather than thinking, oh, I need to try and fit that in. That's good too with like people that are kind of late stage right now that are trying to like write up all their dissertation and stuff. And they're like, oh, well, like for me, it's like that one experiment I froze instead of did. Like, and I've got some other experiments that I like had kind of on the back burner that I wanted to do. It's like, that's why there are future directions. It's like, you can say, okay, you know, we didn't get a chance to do these things, but it's okay. We can do them later. Like these are future things we can still work on. It's still going to be interesting, you know, in a couple months from now when the labs are full back open. So Absolutely. And then when you're on the job market or looking for postdocs and they ask, well, what's your next step? You're like, oh, well, actually, here's an experiment that I'm uh, planning to do and, I, and it's ready to go. Or, or here's what the next, the next few stages are rather than saying, oh, well, I'm interested in this, but I'm not sure. Like you actually have that plan. You can say, yeah. Awesome. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, but like that, that's exactly it, right? It's like, <laughs> you got to have some plan B and like backup things to think about like as you're going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much cool. for joining me today. Uh, this has been of a course. fantastic conversation. And yeah, I look forward to connecting in the future and celebrating you when you uh, finish your dissertation. I know. It's like, I'm so excited. It's funny. It's so close. And like COVID's been so weird with how things have had to change and adjust, but um very appreciative of the opportunity to talk to you today this was fun Britt thank you awesome yeah this um, was fun. and yeah I mean life goes on you gotta be flexible it's true it will go on you'll get there you'll finish <laughs> a good dissertation is a done dissertation 100% absolutely I think that might be become the tagline of this podcast <laughs> I like it get her, get her done it's all get matters. her done yeah awesome yeah. okay well thanks very much thank you bye bye